Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. It's good to see everybody here. Been looking forward to uh, this opportunity to share the Word of God with you. And we'll be here Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. And uh, let me just go ahead and appreciate what the Lord has done over the... Am I doing... Oh, okay, good. Thank you, brother. Thankful what the Lord's done over the last 50 years. We'll be celebrating homecoming on the 24th of September. I should have got the number down. We're 130. I don't know. I can't remember. That's, that's pretty terrible. 131, 132 years. But you know, I was thinking as you guys are celebrating 50 years, and um, I want us to look in Joshua 24. Joshua is remembering the goodness of God in their nation's life and kind of fumbling through the pages of yesterday and just seeing God on every page. And I know you, you've shared stories, no doubt, this morning and people's names. And, of course, I knew your pastor. We taught at Tabernacle together over there. Brother Craig was a unique man. I loved him. He was on top of stuff. It was, it was a good man to be around um, he would just, if you hung out with Brother Stan, you just got tired being around him because he was just, just anxious about everything. But he was a good guy. I, I loved him in the Lord. And he was an encouragement. So I, I know you've, you've heard people's names. It might be a deacon. It might be a Sunday school teacher. I remember a Sunday school teacher in the church I grew up in, in Camp Creek Baptist Church over in Six Mile, which is even bigger than Pickens. And um, actually... Some of the teachers over there were kinfolk, but this lady, her name was Catherine Pinion. And I still remember as like a six-year-old, maybe seven-year-old. I remember one day she kicked her shoes off and she got up on top of the table and she was working in the Sea of Galilee. And I, I, I thought I almost heard the Lord's name. Uh, she was so exciting. So I, I know you've heard people's names, no doubt. And y'all have read stuff, the history of the church, and God's done amazing things. But the common denominator is the grace of God. Yeah. Just the grace of God. I, I, I saw it on your sign. I saw it on the leaflet that uh, your pastor sent to me. I, every one of our stories, be it a church, be it the collective body of Christ, or be it individuals, God's just been so good. Hallelujah. God's just been so good. So I, I want us a little bit this afternoon. I know you guys are full. If you nap on a little bit, it'll be all right. You know, y'all just nap on, just be comfortable. I know y'all bellies are full. Um, so I, I, I hope not to be long, but I just want to remember with Joshua about how good God's been. I mean, everybody in this room could tell their story. At some point, your story is going to be invaded by the gospel somewhere at some point. Now, I was raised in a Christian home, but you might not have been. I remember a guy I went to school with. I was singing, thinking about when we were singing, and uh, he, he was from New York. And not raised up in a gospel area at all. His name was Gary Nolan. I, I, I wish I could find Gary. We, we reached out a little bit to try to find Gary. Uh, Gary's uh, wife, he was lost and no gospel witness. You know, there's not a lot of churches. And, and that was back in the like late 70s. You know, it was really bad. And um, he just a guy at work. A guy at work just told him to read his Bible. He never been to Bible college. I'm glad it's not a prerequisite to get born again. Um, so he just got a Bible, you know, from this guy at work. And he started reading his Bible. 
And um, Spirit of God, I don't know that any human ever talked to Gary. No man other than that guy at work, and he didn't really give him much time. But he started reading, and God, through the Spirit of God and the Word of God, Gary got saved, led his wife to the Lord, and I got to meet him at Tabernacle. So it doesn't matter what our story is, somewhere in the mix of that story is God. Don't get ever get over God. I'm, I'm glad God raised me in a Christian home. I didn't get to pick that. I didn't get to pick that. I was a nothing, you know? I was a nothing. God opens up the womb. God decides where you're born. And so I heard it, I heard it my whole life. I mean, Jesus was just part of my DNA growing up. So I, I thank God for the story of this church, for your story, my story. But all of our stories the grace of God. Amen. And he initiated all that. I wasn't looking for him. He was looking for me. Right? Man, God, God came to where I was. God did in the past, in history, what I could not do. He made a way for me. So I don't ever get over that. So that's kind of what Joshua was doing. 22, 23, and 24, Joshua is gathering all the people of God and just reminding them. So we're going to look at some of those reminders in a little bit here. But then he's going to kind of compel them to respond. Respond. What, what do you do? You got to do something with what God's done. Yeah. You can't just go to church. You can't just sing a couple songs. Yeah. There's got to be like a 24 7, 365 yeah. response. It just, it's life changing. Amen. This is almost like the Old Testament equivalent of Romans 12 1 and 2. You got 11 chapters of just God's amazing, righteous work through the gospel. <laughs> Freely given in Christ to unbelievers, the unrighteous, the unholy, the sorry, the vile, the ones that could never make it, never measure up, don't have to because of what God did, and we get to be righteous before. It's just amazing. And then he says, you need to surrender your life to him. That's the response in 12, 1 and 2. So we'll look at the response. And that's kind of what we're going to do Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. So I don't know who will be back Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. But we're going to keep talking about the responding. Amen. So let's look this afternoon in Joshua 24. And, and I'm, going to, I'm just going to couple it with like four little things, four little thoughts about grace. I, I just thought I'm just going to talk about grace. In, in our story, because Joshua's story is going to be different, obviously, but, but the, the catalyst to his story, to my story, to your story, this church's story, it's the grace of God. If you'll just flip back 21, last three verses of 21, Joshua's reminding them before he collectively gathers them together in 22, 23, 24, and that's three separate gatherings. So I know there's a lot on Joshua's heart, and we, we won't go f much further than about verse 15 just for sake of time and just, you know, it'd take too long. But I think he's really concerned and worried. He's an old man. He, he's getting ready to check out, and he, he's just worried that they're really committed, that they're really going to follow the Lord. They're really going to 
not forget what God has done. So he just kind of initially tells them 43, 44, and 45, and the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he sware unto their fathers, and there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel all came to pass. He's just reminding them that God's just done every stinking thing he said he would do. I'll be 64 in a few days. God's never blown it. I have. Man, if I flip back through the pages of my life, there's so much mess in it. There'll be mess in it next month at some point. I'm just a mess. But God's been never anything but just faithful to his word. Perfect, holy, forgiven, merciful, disciplined, correction, reproof. Grace is a teacher. Thought that we're looking at in these verses, grace has a function in my life. Titus says it this way, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldliness, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. Grace is constantly working in my life, reminding me I didn't deserve any of this, but I get to. Amen. I mean, he, Adam mentioned it for the last 44 plus years. I've got to do this. It's just grace. Amen. Man, I, I, I don't want y'all to think I've done anything but I'm just telling you, I might be in a suit and tie, look half decent this afternoon, but I'm just telling you, my story, grace story. My story, goodness of God. My story, God is faithful. Sure, I've got a couple of good little things I could share, a few little stories I could tell you about. My wife could tell you, probably tell you a few things. I'm thankful she's here. My girls could. My church members could. I got nothing. I am a nobody. Hey, you want me to just remind you what Isaiah said about this bunch right here we're about to read about? I'll get into the message in a minute. Isaiah 51, hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord, look unto the rock which ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit which ye are digged. Look unto Abraham your father and unto Sarah that bear you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. Best thing ever happened to me is God. I thank God for Camp Creek Church, and I know you guys thank God for Choice Hills Baptist and Brother Craig and Ralph Horn was my pastor and my daddy and mama, and I could think of aunts and uncles, but I'm telling you, I got one name to tout. I got one name to glorify. I got one man that's a remedy. I got one source that'll fill you up overflowing, and you'll never, ever get over him. Abraham's reminding us. Jacob's reminding us. Isaac reminds us. Joshua's going to remind us of a God. So let's dig in. Let's look at verses 1, 2, and 3. I'll just call this initiating grace. Initiating grace. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. 
That, that's a great frame of mind, by the way. When you come to church, when you're in a collective gathering, preacher man might be in the pulpit, but th this is a God thing, a God time. I'm a nobody. I'm going to hope to be a mockingbird this afternoon. I'm just going to repeat what God's already said. I got nothing. I got nothing. He said it. So they show themselves, present themselves, show up before God. They want to hear from Joshua. He's the man doing the talking. He's the guy in the pulpit, but we want to hear from God. And you'll even notice through this passage, it's first person. It's almost like Joshua's just become conduit. And we know the Bible is inspired, but it's almost like in this passage, it's just like he's, he's just there. And God's just speaking through him and reminding them of not what he did. He's the flesh man that's in front of them. He's the man that maybe gets the accolades when they have Appreciation Leader Day for Joshua. But Joshua's just the conduit. And so he says, Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. He's just reminding them in 2 and 3 of Joshua 24 that all of this got started by the grace of God. This is not, the, their people were significant. No, they were insignificant. No, they were pagans. There, there was nothing about Abraham. There, there was no goodness in Abraham. He didn't spot something in Abraham. He didn't see some whatever in Abraham. He just loved Abraham. He pursued Abraham. He chose, a, whatever term you want to use, same thing happened to me, same thing happened to you. My mom and dad, my mom was a Christian, raised in a Christian family. I don't know how, I don't, I don't know the whole scenario. I've talked to mom before, but mom married a lost guy, my dad. I don't know how that happened, but because uh, she was in a strict home. But she married a lost guy, name's Jim, dad's in heaven. Mom and dad lived together for a little while after they got married over in Greenville with her, her dad's mom, and he didn't go to church, and there was a revival, and mom was going to church. So she went to church, a little Methodist church over off of Judson Mill in Greenville. She was going to church, and every night, a guy preached on hell every night. And so the first night, Dad just didn't want her to walk by herself. So she, they, they wasn't riding. They didn't have cars. They were poor. And so they walked to church that night. And, of course, he told Mom, I ain't going back. I ain't going back. I ain't listening to that. I'm not going back and hear some guy talk about hell. That's not happening. Well, he did. He went back the second night, went back the third night. Now, this married for a while before this happened, but I'm just telling you, before I ever came into the world, the grace of God reached into my family's life and saved my daddy. Before I was, I'm just saying, he's reminding them. I don't know what your story is. I'd love to hear your story. And that doesn't matter if you was raised in a home like me where Jesus was front page all the time. Or maybe God came around from the angle side view to come into you like he did my dad. It makes no difference. God is the one that did it. God is the initiator. God is the pursuer. I got nobody to praise, nobody to live for, nobody to worship but God. I don't want to be fixated on a man. Don't be fixated on a church. I don't want to be locked in on some guy. I want to be locked in on a God that came looking for me and has been faithful to me all the way. Oh, I could tell y'all some stories. You'd wonder maybe Adam might should have got me to come here to preach. 
When I was in my first church, I like being vulnerable and honest. When I was in my first church, been there, what, how long have we been there, baby? Two years, maybe, a year and a half? I was a mess. I was a mess. I had a terrible temper. Um, I, there was a table, and I'm not proud of this. I just want you to know, I'm a work of grace. We're not little polished stones that God found. We were nothing. We were nothing. We're like the pit, the hole. And listen, I met a few people that you probably think God found a pretty decent little thing when they got to him. He got nothing. He got nothing. I had a terrible temper. Terrible temper. Remember one night breaking the table. I remember one night she was going to leave me. All this is when I'm passing the church, by the way. You think I got in the pulpit every time I walked to that pulpit, Brother Adam, right with God? No. I got in the pulpit with unconfessed sin. Do y'all really think every preacher that's ever stood in front of you has never preached a message with unconfessed sin? Sure they have. Because we're human. We're sticks. We're just a hole in a rock that's been hewn out. Unqualified. No way I could do this without him. He's just reminding them. God initiated this grace in your life. The one part I like about that is God's going to be constantly faithful to you, constantly merciful to you, constantly correct your sin, allow you to confess your sin and move right on in serving God. Yes, I understand there's disqualifying things with the pastor. Don't look at me like I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, every one of us, God started this work. He'll finish it, but he was the initiator. I don't want to ever get over that. If I'll be fixated on that, if somebody leaves me out in the bulletin, or if they leave me out in the history of their church, okay, because I'm in his history. He knows my name. He knows my faults. He's walked every step with my life. I don't want to ever forget that God initiated grace in my life. Number two. Let's look at it in verse number four and verse number five, providing grace. Really, honestly, this goes all the way up through verse 12. For sake of time, we we might not read all these verses. I'm just going to remind us of two things. We'll whittle it down to two things. Verse five, look at verse five with me. I sent Moses... Also in Aaron, I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward, I brought you out. Back up in verse 4, I gave unto Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. I gave unto Esau, Mount Seir, to possess it. But Jacob's children went down into Egypt. I gave Moses and Aaron. I brought your fathers out of Egypt. Moses, Aaron, Joshua standing before him. Just in verse 5, he's reminding them, I gave people into your life. I gave you people. Man, you guys would have stories. He's bound to be somebody you're thinking of. I took them for granted. Like my mom. My mom would be uh, 97 day after Christmas. 97. I never knew what a gift she was. She got on my nerves. 
She was always pushing the Bible, always pushing church, always pushing Jesus. You know, she really believed that stuff. Constant. I was clueless of what I had. When she was about 88, 89, somewhere in that neighborhood, she broke her hip, and Juan and I just kind of moved in with her. And I remember growing up in that house, my mom's religious habits, and they were holy habits. And I thank God for them. But I'd forgotten them, so we're staying with her, and Wanda's kind of helping her with her therapy where she broke her hip and all. And it was so cool to hear my mom pray at night. It'd been a while since I heard her. My mom's always prayed at night out loud. I don't know why I never asked her. You know, maybe I need to ask her now. It's been 97 years. I mean, maybe she'd tell me. I always prayed out loud, but she prays out loud now because she can't hear. I mean, she can't hear, and so when she prays, brother, these people walking down the road, they can hear my mama pray. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Every morning, she won't even put her foot on the bedroom floor without thanking God for another night. First morning we was there, I knew what I would find. My mom's always never slept real good. So she gets up pretty early, and she'll stagger into the den, you know, and she has a chair, and you can look any of the bedrooms down the hall, you can look down the hall and, and you can see her sitting in her chair. And so I knew what I was going to see because I'd seen it my whole life. It used to irritate me because I wasn't doing it. It was convicting. You know, I, I always wanted to go out of back doors. So I was about to look at this woman that just does this stuff all the time. Can't see, can't hear. She's got a ruler and she's going... Line by line. And it won't be long and she'll, she'll work her way to this spiral notebook and it's full of names. My name's in there, by the way. I better be on the stinking first page, too. And up close to the top, by the way. And little fingers working down in prayer. God's grace gave me that, Mama. I could go on and on. So could you. So could you. I remember three boys. And I'll, I'll encourage you about this. Kleenex, Adam. Is there a Kleenex around here? I don't know why I don't think about getting. I mean, I know this is going to happen. You'd think I'd just get. Sorry, babe. I know this is embarrassing. Now I'm going to blow, and that's even worse. That's even worse. Well, now you've, you've ruined all the etiquette whatsoever you had. Yeah, I know. I lost it right there. What I'm going to encourage us all, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, is to be, be somebody that God will send. We had three little boys. I met them out on knocking on doors in my first church back in 1979, 1980, first church I pastored, and the house was a mess. It was a mess. I mean, you could about slide on the grit on the floor, and I don't know where Daddy was, and Mom was a mess, and I had three boys. And um, so I just told one, I said, we, we got to do something. We got to do something. So we started inviting them over to our house, and I mean, I was younger then, 
I can't do anything much with my arms over my head anymore because uh, you don't want to hear my problems. Shoot basketball. That was nothing. I like shooting basketball. I love basketball. Still like basketball. That was nothing for me to do. Saturday morning, we didn't have any kids. And Wanda makes killer sausage gravy and homemade biscuits. I don't have any problem eating that. She would fix that. I would play ball every Saturday morning. Will you be sent? God sent people in your life. They've loved on you. They've listened to you. They forgave you. They've corrected you. They guided you. That didn't just happen. We don't believe in like luck, good or bad. We don't believe in providence. We believe the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. He's just reminding them, I sent. That didn't just happen. You wasn't at the right place at the right time. God manufactured it. So these people would work around and go. Be on the other end of that. That's where we'll be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Be just reminding them of the people that's loved on them. Let's keep going. In verse 6, I guess it is, we won't read through all these verses. The next few verses, God just really just reminds them of how he just really made it so obvious I mean, there's so many things in these verses that we could talk about in this providing grace where God just provides landmark times in your life where you know it's him. I mean, the Red Sea. I mean, who, who gets over that? I mean, that's about as over the top as you can possibly get to do something. And it's almost like God's trying to make sure, and I think that's what he's doing, to make sure they understand not only is he interested, not only is he investing in their life, he's capable of doing anything. Now, that does not make him a genie. You just rub and get what you want. But it does mean that you can live fearlessly for God. Because there ain't nothing he can do. Nothing. Nothing. If he can dry up, the Red Sea. Blow dry the mud. If he can keep their legs from swelling. If he can bring manna in. And I don't know who did the math on this. I read the book. I would have never done this. I don't have enough time and I don't have the brain to figure this out. I think he went on like 1.5 million. It, it comes up to something around 4,500 tons of manna a day. Who does that? God does. God does. While we're on the point of remembering, in Psalm 78, you're you're getting further down the, the historical timeline of God's people, and they did forget. How do you forget that? How do you forget the Red Sea? How do you forget walls of water standing up on each other? How how do you forget that? How how do you forget water that came out of a rock and follows you around, and when you stop, it stops? That don't make no sense. There's no science for that. My God's not hung up with science. He is science. He makes it. That's your God. Again, he's not a genie in a bottle. You just rub and get what you want. But I promise you, you live in his will. You can experience some crazy stuff. He will 
provide for you. Amen. I use me and Wanda again. We we just got married. We we got married at eighteen. Hmm. That's early. I wouldn't suggest it, but I did feel like maybe that's what we were supposed to do. After being married about a year, I wasn't sure. I know she wasn't sure because what she had with me. And we were struggling. I had so much pride. Still do. I still struggle with pride. And so I wasn't going to ask anybody for help. She'd lost her job, and sadly, spiritually, we were not in a good spot. I wish that I could tell you every day we were in the Word and praying and trusting. We weren't. We were working and living and thinking we had it and whatever. And she lost her job, and things really got tight really fast, and we both got irritated and frustrated. I was in Bible college. I was going to Tabernacle night. This would have been about 78, 9, somewhere in that neighborhood. And, and I mean, I, we, we needed money. I mean, it was just that stark. We had no, Wanda told me one night, one Thursday night, she said, we don't have any money for groceries. And I knew that, you know, she had lost her job. We couldn't find I, I can't tell you the whole backstory. Her losing the job was m- m- me stupid. Just, I'll just, I'll just, you can just figure that story out yourself. It was just me being goofy. So she couldn't find a job, and so we were struggling. Adam, God didn't owe me nothing. In fact, as stupid as I'd have been, he should have said, just, just hang out there a while. I don't know that we ever asked God I wish I could tell you we did. I'm just trying to be totally honest. I just knew I wasn't telling my mom and daddy. You know, I wasn't going to tell hers. We can figure this out. So we went to church that Sunday, you remember? (laughs) I led the music. We did the thing back in those days where you met, you know, in the auditorium. You did a little devotion, did a little song, then you went to Sunday school. And so I led the music for that. I was the right guy for the job. So I led the music for that. And so I'm getting ready to come off the platform, and this little lady, can't remember her first name. Her last name was Tripp. Her husband's name was Noah. Me and the preacher was the last person to witness to him before he died. He died about 5 o'clock next morning. As far as I know, went to hell. She came up to me, and she said, she said, she used to call me little guy. Little guy. And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I got a little something for you. I stuck it in my coat pocket. Then we went and sat down, and I, I got so used to sitting in front of my mom and daddy when we were dating. You know, I didn't tell you about my mom having strict, my dad even had stricter rules. We had to sit in front of them. I never liked that. I wanted my freedom. You know, sit behind them, whatever. So I'd sit in front of them. So after church was over, I stood up. My dad was a man of few words. I turned around. And he said, God, the Lord laid on my heart to do this. And he handed me something I put it in my pocket. Y'all, I ain't prayed one word to my God. I ain't asking for nothing. He owes me nothing. But I had $100 in my pocket. I felt about that small. All God was saying, God, I got you. I saved you. I bought you. I redeemed you. I forgave you. I can use you. Trust me. Trust me. That's all he's doing. 
You remember Moses? How goofy can you be? After all he does, hand goes in there, it's leprous, comes out, it's clean. Throws down a stick, turns into a snake, grabs it, back to a stick. And still tells God, I'm sorry, but I can't do it. I mean, come on. What do you need? What do I need? There's so many times God's just showed up in my life and said, I got this. It don't mean there won't be some trials. It don't mean there won't be hard. Margaret Stringer's here. Man, she could tell us stories that ring around my little stories of how God's intervened in her life, providing grace. And it's endless. It'll never run out. It'll always be leftovers. Always. Twelve baskets. Satisfy the whole crowd. Leftovers. There's more there for you forever. He could have done manna for a million years. He's just reminding them, I've given you people and I've given you provisions. Sometimes, like at Jericho, they had to fight. Still God. Sometimes they didn't have to fight. It was hornets. Still God. When it stopped doing manna and they started planting crops, still God. God does it all. He's providing grace. Look at verse number 13. Sustaining grace. We'll read this verse. And I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you built not. And you dwell in them of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted. Now do you eat? He will just sustain. He is enough. And I, maybe one night we can dwell on this a little bit. Kind of some of the things I was saying at the beginning. Find everything you need in Him. 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 He's not theology. He's not academia. He is. We all ought to be theologians in the room. But He's a man. He's a person. He knows how you feel. He knows your heart. Why do you think God goes, or Jesus goes through all these things in the, like, like the Gospels to like, like, like think God's up in heaven some, for some reason keeping up with your hairs in your head? He knows how many hairs you got in here. God's like, well, it's down to 14,400. He's just saying he cares. Amen. He cares. I mean, if everybody forgets you, that, that's bad. I, I don't think I'd want that. But it's okay. <laughs> I mean, when I think about some of those prophets, like Jeremiah and some of those guys, I mean, it had to be stinking lonely. Right? Nobody's listening. Everybody's rejecting. They beat you up. And I mean, God's not even going to let, let you get out of it. You're, you're going to you're gonna have to deal with the same stuff they're all dealing with. And I'm the good guy in this story. I mean, they had to feel lonely. He was enough. It tells me all through Joseph's negative years, 10 to 13, however many years it was, he prospered. And that sure ain't money in Lamborghinis. His spirit prospered. (laughs) Paul's singing in jail. Might not be normal, but it's normal Christianity. Let's find every thought they need, thing they need in the sustaining grace of God. Christ is enough. 
Not Christ plus. It's not Christ plus a home. It's not Christ plus health. It's not Christ plus money. It's not Christ plus people. Those are all peripheral. Those are all uh, other things on the plate. He is the plate. He sustains you. That's what he's reminding them. You can lose everything, but you can't lose me. And I'm all you need. And I'm all you need. And that's what my, that's what my mom said. She's been alone since 1996. She still lives alone. And that's the way she wants it. She's independent. Still lives alone. Check on her, talk to her, whatever. God's been enough. That's what Christ was telling the woman at the well. Man, I got you. I'm not, I'm not talking about just a little drink of water that's going to get you to eternity. I'm talking about a drink of water, me, that will get you through the rest of your life and be what any husband, no wife, no money, no nothing I can be. That's what Christ offers. That's what this story is telling us. He sustains us. Let's quickly get to the response. Motivating grace. Motivating grace. And I'm going to give you four things to think about. This will be the application. We'll make this the application for this little walk through this passage. And we'll just look at them as we go through. Four things. What should this motivate me? Fourteen. Now, therefore. Fear the Lord. The best thing I've ever heard about fear the Lord, the thought of it or the statement of it or the wording of it, Old Testament, New Testament, whatever, is Tozer's conscious. Conscious of God. Conscious. Awake, alert, aware of God. Like my mama hitting the floor without, she won't even think about doing it without thanking God for the night. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty if you don't. I'm just trying to tell you. He's saying, here's my response. I want to be overwhelmed with God. I don't want to get lost in anything but God. I might have a team. I might have a car. I might have whatever in my life that's really like little shiny things, like, like, like a lure in the river for a trout. But there's just no, there's no rival to God. There's no, nothing that can, that can get up there. David in 119 says, I got no riches. And he had riches, but he says, that's not what I want. I'll lose that before I'll lose him. That's what he said. I want to be so conscious of God that I never, I can't get him off my mind. Amen. That's how I got to respond. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, boom, that we just surrender our lives to God. I, don't want, I, I want everything in my life to be holy man pursuit. Is it always? No. I've told you a little bit about my story. I ain't going to tell you all of it. But if you hang around, if I come back in 10 years, there'll be more stuff in my story. Amen. But the one thing I want to be is making sure that I'm conscious of God. If I'm conscious of God when I'm sinning, it'll show up. Hallelujah. It'll show up. It's like living with the lights on. So I want to be conscious of God. Number two, serve him in sincerity and truth. The word serve is, is a word that has the idea of worship. Worship. Worship, the idea of the word is to assign worth. Wanda and I just celebrated back July 29th, 44 Three, four, three, 
45. Praise the Lord. I mean, I'll have, to, I'll have to walk home. 45 years. And I'll just confess, we spent way more money than any two people ought to spend for food. Amen. But it was amazing. Because to me, she's worth 10,000 times that. Praise God. How valuable is God to you? What, what are you assigning worth? That's not, listen, when you get to come to sing, when you gals are singing up here in the choir, and when it's congregational time, man, I don't care if you can sing. Now, I, and I understand you need, you need to practice, and I have to do all this in case y'all think I'm crazy. Uh, you need to practice, and it needs to be harmonious and all that, but listen to me. Listen, when, when my grandbabies or, or when my daughters would color me a little thing, and I didn't even know what it was, I'd guess, and they would correct me and say, no, that's a horse, even though it looked like a cow. But you know what? I'd put it on the refrigerator because that's my little girl's. When you get a chance to sing, sing. Every day of your life, you've got opportunity to show him to the world how much worth he is. I mean, we we just started football. And there's a bunch of people, I guarantee you, they've been cranked for the last two weeks. Just like like an engine sitting on star, like a dragster. And I got no problem with that. Zero. But on the level of assigning worth throughout the daily routine of my life, every time I grab my Bible on a Monday morning and I spend time in his presence, every time I show up hungry and thirsty in his presence saying, God, I need help. Every time I take burdens or sin, just junk in my life to him. I'm telling him, you're all I've got. Where else will I go? You're all I have. Worship God. Serve him with your life. Worship with your lips. I don't, I don't want this to sound mean, but that's easy. That's why it says in sincerity and truth. That's why Jesus says those that worship me be doing it in spirit. It's a spiritual thing, but it's also authentic. Serving means you open up your house and bring sinners in. You you see people in your neighborhood that ain't going to church and you drive your car by and say, hey, how about going with me? He's so worthy, you need to know him. He's the best thing ever happened to me. So again, fear God, be conscious of him. Number two, serve him, worship him. Number three, well, this is a bad one, confess your sin. Put away the, the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood. You would think they'd have had sin about nullified by now. I mean, it's been, what, 600 years? Praise the Lord. You think you got that figured out? I'm over 64 and I haven't. Confess it. Just confess your stuff. I, I Honestly, I think one of the biggest holdbacks to a work of God in most people's lives is they got sin they just don't want to get rid of. They've made it right or they've made it okay or they've made it not that bad. You know, it's not in the top five things. Whatever. And it's all heart stuff. You know, you say, well, you can do the old heart things like malice and bitterness and all that stuff. It's all heart stuff. 
If it makes it to your hands, it's been in your heart. It makes it to your feet, it's been in your heart. It all starts in your heart. That's where you got to nip it in the bud. That's where you got to start. And you don't know your heart? Distinctly wicked. Don't go on your feelings. That's a bunch of garbage. Go on the Word of God. Do like Psalm uh, 17, Psalm 25, Psalm 26, 27. Prove me. Examine me. Judge me. I want to know me. Confess your sin. Then the last one. And this is my wife's favorite verse. And if it seem evil unto you, serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Then the latter part of that, it says, but it's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Choose you this day. Let me tell you just a little bit about that word choose, and we're done. The word choose there is a word in the Old Testament that has the idea of continual. I, I, I wish, I do, I, I, I wish like life was like, like a one deal, and it's done. One trip to the altar, it's fixed. You know, one, one good revival meeting or one good Thursday morning devotion, and I'm fixed. Every day, I want to get up, intentionally choose to follow my Lord. If you don't intentionally choose that, you'll follow something else. You'll make something else God. You'll never call it idolatry. Well, I've served all kinds of stuff. Cars, ball, people. Oh, yeah, when I was in high school, it was my car. I mean, I went to church because mom and daddy made me. I'd go to youth group because they made me. But you think they had my heart? You think God had my heart? You think my Bible was open? You think I was studying? I spent all my money, all my time on a car. Listen, I got no problem having a, a car. You want to have a hot rod? You, you build it, I'll drive it. I like hot rods. Still do. But it got all my time. I've worshipped a lot of stuff. Listen, if you're not following God on a daily basis, some God's got your eye. Some God's got your heart. And it'll only dissatisfy you. It's got to be intentionally, daily done. You reckon why maybe that's why Jesus said, take up thy cross daily, daily. We all are working progress. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Pastor, you come close as you see fit. Thank y'all for your attention.